our next edition of the Dan Siegel Show, hosted by yours truly, Dan Siegel ACC Content. So, the brackets have been selected. We have five teams from the ACC. We are a five-bid league. The teams are Duke, who got a two-seed, UNC, who got an eight-seed, Miami, who got a ten-seed, Notre Dame, who got a play-in 11 game, and Virginia Tech, who also got an 11 seed. And we will preview all of March Madness, starting with our first guest, Sam Bass from CBB Review. We'll talk about all the ACC matchups and potential paths to see where each of these teams could end up in the tournament. And then we'll have Phil Dexter from College Hoops Digest, and we'll talk about each of the upsets that could possibly happen with you know the 12-5, 13-4, 14-3, etc. Each of the most possible, most probable upsets for each of the seeds. But first off, this past week we had the ACC tournament. A lot happened. So let's start with the top five storylines from the ACC tournament this past week. Starting with number five. Pitt has an absolutely embarrassing showing. On day one, the Panthers are dominated by Boston College, 66-46. to Now, this Pitt team, what they usually are, they play hard for their coach Jeff Capel, but they're just not talented enough to win more ACC games. But this time, against a beatable team in Boston College, they look totally out of it, lost by 20. It really was not the usual effort we're used to seeing from them. Jeff Capel, the athletic department announced, will be kept. And I'm a guy that does not like to immediately pull the plug on a coach when things go wrong because of financial things and the fact that once you get a new coach, you have to completely start from scratch. But at Pitt, there's very little to build off of. So that's kind of a questionable decision from me. But we'll continue to explore it in the offseason a little bit more. So let's move on to number four. Syracuse finishes under 500 for the first time in the Jim Beheim era. Now, actually in the tournament, Syracuse started with a dominating win over Florida State, 96-57. to Things were looking good. Obviously, we know about the Buddy Beheim suspension, which was well-deserved, in my opinion. I thought he should have been ejected from the game, but since they missed the call there, they definitely should have at least suspended him for the next game, which they did. And that was, they happened to play Duke, which they almost took down, but eventually ran out of steam 88-79. to Now, Jim Beheim has been coaching since 1976-77 season, and he has never finished under 500 until this year. Is it time for him to do what Roy Williams, to do what Coach K have done, and hang it up? I don't know. Maybe. I think both of his sons, I presume, will be leaving after this season. And he said it what a joy it was to coach them. So it does kind of make sense for it. But again, another thing we will explore early in the offseason. So that's number four. Let's move on to number three. Boston College makes a statement. They dominated Pitt, like I just talked about. Then they beat Wake in overtime, 
82 to 77 in a must-win game for the Deeks. And Boston College, they had really not much to play for, considering the fact that the only way they would make the NCAA tournament was by winning five games in five days. Wake Forest had to win that game because losing that game effectively took them out of the at-large conversation or at-large took them away from the at-large bid for the NCAA tournament. But finally, Boston College, they, they won the first two games. They finally ended up losing to Miami in the final seconds, 71-69 to 69 in overtime. Just one mistake. They did not get back in transition and Miami had a fast break layup on a pass all the way down the court. But overall, Boston College absolutely played out with confidence, a noticeable amount of intensity, and a very promising sign for Earl Grant's squad in the near future. Number two, Virginia. What are you doing? So the first game, they had to win four games in four days. They had the single buy. So they beat Louisville in the first day, 51 to 50, whatever, Virginia. That's honestly better because they're playing with their identity, which they've kind of failed to do all year. Well, their offense did not get any better in a game against North Carolina, who has a much better offense themselves than Louisville. So they lost 63 to 43, just could not hit shots. A terrible end to the season for Tony Bennett and his squad. And this was the first time that they haven't made the tournament since the 2013-14 season. In that span, they had finished in the top 25 every single season and in the top six in five of those seasons. Big down year for Virginia. The good news is they have a very, very good recruiting class coming in, but they will not be in the dance, so we will not be talking about them throughout this episode. And let's move on to our final storyline, our number one storyline from this past week in the ACC tournament. Your ACC champions, the Virginia Tech Hokies. It was their first ever ACC championship. It started their run. They won four games in four days, and it started with a buzzer beater over Clemson by Darius Maddox, 76 to 75, which if he had missed that shot, Virginia Tech loses in the first day, and then they took down Notre Dame 87 to 80, UNC 72 to 59, and then came the championship game. And this was super hype. I was actually at that game, it was incredible. And Hunter Couture just would not be stopped. 31 points for him, seven of nine from three point range. They end up winning 82 to 67. So what's the moral of the story? Because Virginia Tech was not a very good team record-wise in the first half of the season. But they stuck with the process. They get good shots. They finally start to knock them down. They play good defense. They continue to feed a Luma inside-out game. And what do you know? Virginia Tech ACC champions. And I'm pretty sure since they got an 11 seed, they needed to win that game to get into the dance. So... Great for the Hokies. Congrats to them. Let's get our first guest on, Sam Bass from CBB Review, to talk about these ACC teams and their matchups in the NCAA tournament. 
So our first guest of the day here is Sam Bass from CBB Review. He helps us cover the ACC, among other things. Sam, how are we doing today on this Selection Sunday? You know, um, not a normal Selection Sunday. We talked about it before. Uh, Our Virginia Cavaliers didn't make the tournament uh, for the first time in a while, so I'm not really used to watching Selection Sunday and the tournament without the Who's, but... College basketball is college basketball, and March is awesome, so can't help but feel a little excitement, no matter how sad it may be. No, for sure, and obviously I think we both knew Virginia was not going to make it. I think a little bit of a slight surprise, or maybe not a surprise, but something that was in the realm of possibility was Wake Forest, and they are not in it. Honestly, I think they did it to themselves by losing to Boston College. As an ACC guy, I'm a little bit disappointed. I think they should have at least been in the first four out, which they were not. The selection committee announced it. It was Wake Forest was not in it. Do you feel differently? Do you think they were snubbed, or do you think they kind of did it to themselves by losing to Boston College? You know, in a postseason game, Wake Forest hasn't been there before, so you're not basing it off of much besides this season. And the one postseason game they played this year, they lost to a very bad Boston College team. Um, with a first-year head coach, might I add. But uh, I think it's really hard to put Wake Forest in there because when you're looking at a whole body of work, Wake Forest isn't overwhelmingly good. And also, you don't know what they'll do in the field of 68. You haven't seen them there in years. So I think it's just really hard. And as a committee, to put them in and expecting them to make some noise in the tournament. And I think that loss is just, you can't get around that. I agree. Okay, so let's talk about the five ACC bids that we have. Where shall we start? Let's start with our ACC champions, the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokies will be playing as an 11 seed against six seeded Texas. I was not a fan of the matchup for Virginia Tech when I saw it. I think in general, Virginia Tech is a very dangerous team with how hot they've been from behind the arc, how they could create off the dribble. They have experience. I think the fact that they did it last year and lost a tough first-round game against a pretty good Florida team helps this year. But what do you think about this? Yeah, I agree the matchup isn't great for Virginia Tech. Um, I'm a huge Keve Aluma fan. I think he works so well in the post and can score from all three levels. But, you know, the the matchup isn't great. Andrew Jones is really just going to go through that defensive – backcourt for Virginia Tech, but you know, the way they shot in the ACC tournament, if Hunter Couture can stay hot, I don't think anyone could beat the Hokies. They're they're just shooting at an incredible clip, and yeah, it's not sustainable for the entire tournament, but I think um, in my ACC awards and look ahead, I I said Virginia Tech is going to maintain their hot streak, and then maybe get a little bit cold in the Sweet 16, but I think that they can definitely make some noise um, maybe beat Texas. I can see it. I think that would be an upset that could realistically happen. And then you run to Purdue after, which is another tough matchup. But I, I think Aluma and then um, Storm Murphy and Hunter Couture can really make some noise, that big three with the Hokies. Well, the one thing Texas does not have is a seven-foot-two guy or whoever Colin Castleton was for Florida that absolutely torched them in overtime. So... That's good. They Texas does not have a guy like that. But let's move on. So we got Notre Dame and Rutgers, a very, very hype first four game. 
and the winner will be playing Alabama. I've said I like this Notre Dame team in March. I think they have a dynamic offense. I think their defense is good enough, and experience is important. Notre Dame definitely has that. We'll talk about Rutgers first because Rutgers is tough. They're a team that has gotten very hot down the stretch, superstar in Ron Hopper Jr., and if they get past them, you know, Alabama, they could shoot the lights out. But I like Notre Dame. Honestly, I think the Rutgers matchup might be a little bit more difficult than the Alabama matchup. And if Notre Dame gets by Rutgers, I think they might be able to keep it up and keep up at least on the scoreboard, even if Alabama, because they shoot so many threes, gets hot. I think Notre Dame could keep up on the scoreboard. They have a good enough offense. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. I think Rutgers is a really tough matchup. They play really good, solid defense, and they have a few guys who can just get unconscious from the field. Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker, to name two. Um, but, you know, one thing I've noticed about Rutgers is they'll play to their competition. And being um, a non-ranked Notre Dame team at a neutral site, Rutgers thrives at home. And on a neutral site, I think Notre Dame's is more poised more controlled on offense, especially Rutgers gets very out of control. And Mike Bray did a, has done a great job with this Notre Dame team, keeping them um, within the system. Um, I think Notre Dame is just going to stay calm. Uh, Rutgers might jump a little too much, uh, metaphorically speaking, might not be ready for the moment. I think Notre Dame advances. And in Alabama, it really just depends on how hot um, Alabama gets from the field. I think – Notre Dame can play good defense and prevent it as much as possible. But when your shooters are making shots, it's really tough to lose. Moving on to Duke and Cal State Fullerton. Honestly, first off, I'm kind of surprised Duke is a two seed. I thought after that loss in the championship game to Virginia Tech, who is an 11 seed, meaning that if they lost the game, they probably wouldn't have been in. I thought after that loss, they would not be on the two line, but... They do. They are in the two line. They are playing 15 seeded Cal State Fullerton. I have admitted, admittedly not watched a Cal State Fullerton game this year, but I looked into it. They are very poor from three point land, which is a poor formula for a mid major to beat a top seeded team. So, first off, Cal State Fullerton against Duke. Any upset potential? Um, you know. No. <laughs> uh, you, you look at Duke, and uh, they could come out a little cold. I think if they won the ACC tournament, they'd come out even colder. But, you know, they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. Obviously, Coach K's last NCAA tournament. Do I think Duke can win it all? Probably not. But they just are going to dominate Cal State Fullerton. They have the size. They have the scoring ability. They average 10 more points than Cal State Fullerton. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think this will be close. What I do worry about with Duke is the second round matchup potentially because Davidson is the complete opposite. And if I think, honestly, if you're Duke, you'd much rather play a Michigan State than a Davidson. That's a 7-10 adjacent to them. Davidson runs complex stuff. They did very well in the A-10 this year. They're super, super dangerous offensively shooting the ball. They have five guys on the floor that could shoot. They have just a bunch of scorers. So... Davidson over Duke, I feel like, is a very trendy second-round upset game. See, I, I love that game right above Duke because Michigan State and Davidson, as you mentioned, Davidson is very complex. They run a really well-structured offense. 
But Michigan State is is coached by Tom Izzo. Uh, John Rothstein renamed March after Tom Izzo <laughs> because of how successful he is. You know, you said Davidson like you didn't even give a thought for Michigan State to win. I think, um, although Davidson is a very, is probably the better team, I think Michigan State will win just by being coached. And then, you know, I think no matter who wins that game, Duke will be on upset alert because those are very two capable teams. And we've seen it all year long. Duke is talented, but they're very inconsistent. And then Duke's rival, North Carolina, the 8-9 matchup against Marquette. I kind of got mixed feelings on this one because Marquette, really athletic, used to running the floor. Uh, poor rebounders, though, so maybe Baycott could feast. Do you want UNC to maybe kind of slow this one down, play kind of a half-court setting and allow them to get those offensive rebounds? And Because Marquette is a team that is, could play fast and can definitely keep up with the tempo that UNC would usually play with. Yeah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say if Carolina slows the pace, plays a half-court game, and really relies on their bigs crashing the boards, they can generate second shots and easy buckets. Uh, they have the size. They rebound extraordinarily well. Um, you know, Hubert Davis is a very good coach, and Armando Baycott is a monster. So if they can slow the pace down and really allow Baycott to stay with like around the paint, and get those offensive rebounds and putbacks, I don't think this will be close. But if the pace speeds up, North Carolina will, will not be able to keep up. Yeah, I, I agree. It's definitely on the pace. Do you think that – I mean, what do you just think of the Marquette team in general? Because obviously, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I think it was probably – it was last year or two years ago, Marquette in the regular season played UNC, and they dominated UNC in a game that this, – this was not a year that Marquette was very good. I, I believe they had uh, Marcus Howard on that team. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but UNC just couldn't guard him. They don't really have a incredible score. They just they run, um, and they, they force teams to make unforced errors. If they if that makes sense, they're they're just putting pressure on the their opponent and really forcing them to make tough plays. Mm-hmm. And I think UNC is poised enough. They have the experience. Where I don't think they'll fall into that trap. Um, I think the only problem for UNC is if they speed up, if their young guys start to play with Marquette instead of staying with them and making Marquette play with them. But I don't think that Marquette will really blow them out of the water in this game. No, but that what based on what you're saying, it seems like it's a very, very good litmus test for Hubert Davis as a first-year coach. So we'll see about that. We'll see how UNC handles those pressure situations and how they approach this Marquette game. Uh, our final game is that we haven't talked about yet. Seven seeded USC against ten seeded Miami. So what I said before the tournament, I said Miami is a team that whether or not they win, their fate will be very matchup dependent. And as soon as I saw USC, I, I smiled. I said this is going to be good for Miami. Teams that have killed Miami are very good on ball defenders. Teams that could win those one-on-one matchups that Miami likes to do, create ISOs and and win those matchups and keep up. But that's the exact weakness of the Trojans. They're, they'd struggle to guard on ball and teams that could space and spread you out. So that's why I kind of like Miami versus USC. I think that's a 10-7 mini upset right there. 
You know, um, one of the flaws that I've noticed from Miami, um, I did um, notice their love of lack of on-ball defenders. They like to play a lot of iso ball, but they also are not very big and they rebound very poorly. Um, I think Isaiah Mobley is going to give them problems. This will be a high-scoring game, um, but I do I, I agree with you. I think Miami in, in crunch time just will have the ability to make big shots because of the lack of defense USC plays. I think this is a really good game. I think it'll be fast. I think it'll be back and forth. There won't be a clear-cut winner until the final two seconds take off the clock. But yeah. I think Miami has a very good shot to pull off the 10-7 upset as well. I think we save the best for last. I think that's the most entertaining, the biggest entertainment value of all the games. So, uh, 100%, I think just the pace of play in that one will get a lot of attention from fans. You know, 310, you got uh, kids heading out of school. So who knows? Maybe that's going to be the first game they throw on the TV and just see guys running up and down the court scoring at an unprecedented rate. All I know is that when I was in school, it didn't really matter. 12 through 2, I was finding ways to stream the games. And some teachers would be nice enough to actually put them on the smart boards or the big screens, projectors in front of the classrooms. Most of them would not, but I in my high school actually end around 2 o'clock, so that was good for me. Now I'm on spring break, so I'll be able to watch whatever. I'll be watching from a bus on the way to Bridgeport, Connecticut. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on. I can't have you on a March Madness-themed episode without asking for your championship prediction. So before you go, why don't you give us that? Uh, well, so I've given this a little bit of thought already. Uh, one, I saw something on Twitter that um, a national champion has never lost in the first round of their, their first game of their conference tournament. So it took a few ideas from away from me. But I really like the way the Tennessee Volunteers are playing. I like the way Kansas is playing. Um, I think it really depends on the path, and you can't really predict these things. But, you know, Tennessee and Kansas are probably my two picks as it stands right now. Tennessee and Kansas. Interesting. All right, Sam. Thank you very much. This was Sam Bass from CBB Review, our ACC contributor. And uh, looking forward to having you on in the future. Thank you for having me. So great stuff from Sam there, previewing our first weekend of ACC basketball in March Madness. Hopefully there will be a second weekend of ACC basketball in March Madness. That's not necessarily a guarantee, but I'm hoping at least one or two could move on past this weekend. Obviously we shall see. But we're going to get our next guest on that is Phil Dexter from College Hoops Digest on to talk upset potential and stuff like that. Before we get to that, though, let's have a word from our sponsor. And our next segment is brought to you by the Pipeline Discord. Come join our growing community of college football and basketball fans where we talk games, news, recruiting, predictions, and much, much more. For March Madness, we have a really fun props competition with free entry, so be sure to join the Discord and join in the fun in that. And of course, be sure to stop by our betting channel to maybe pick up a hot betting tip. That's the Pipeline Discord. Link is in the description. All right, here comes Phil Dexter from College Hoops Digest. 
So our second and final guest of the day is Phil Dexter from College Hoops Digest and the Everything College Basketball Podcast. Phil, you've had a little bit of time to digest the bracket. It is around 9.45, so it's been selected a few hours ago. And first off, how are you doing? And second off, any standouts to you right now? Uh, first off, I'm doing awesome, man. I appreciate you having me on. Um, standouts as far as the bracket, just I think as everybody's sort of talked about so far, just a little surprised at some of the seating. Um, didn't seem like the conference tournaments really uh, played too much of a factor in that. Um, if so, you would have thought maybe Tennessee would have risen to it too. Um, kind of surprising to see Purdue fall all the way down to a three as well. So uh, more just seeding things for me that were a little bit surprising. Yeah, and especially Virginia Tech. I've said this a couple times on this episode. Virginia Tech being an 11 indicates that I think if they had not won that game against Duke yesterday, they might not have gotten an at-large bid. So very interesting. But we're going to talk upsets with you. So we'll go through each of the seeding matchups. So there's four for each seed to choose from. And what we're going to talk about is what is the most likely upset for each of the seeding matchups. So we'll start. We'll go with 16 to 1. So I guess I don't really see any of this happening. Obviously, we didn't see it happening when it actually did happen. But what do you see as your most likely 16 over 1 upset? Or I guess, yeah, I guess most likely, least unlikely, however you want to put it. Um, Yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't foresee this happening. But if I had to choose one, I'd probably say Bryant, uh, you know, getting through the uh, first four and pulling off an upset over Arizona. Um, you know, they sort of just have that recipe for a Cinderella team. Um, if somebody were to pull it off, you know, having a, a leading scorer in the nation and Peter Kiss. Um, again, don't foresee that happening, but with Kirk Reese's injury, um, you know, who knows at this point. I agreed. I said Brian over Arizona. Like I said, if they win the play playing game, they're playing right state. Fifteen and two in conference. I thought they were maybe a fifteen seed deserve. And in the new year, I think like in 2022, the calendar year, I believe they have only one or two losses. So definitely a team that's hot right now. But, I mean, Arizona is a heck of a team. So don't see them really yeah. with Bryant. All right, how about 15 over two? 15 over two. I have to say, looking at probably Jackson State over Auburn, Um and that's more to do just with how Auburn's been playing lately. Again, I don't necessarily foresee this happening before I have a bunch of Auburn fans jumping all over me on Twitter. But uh, just, you know, they've been struggling in the end-of-game situations. Wendell Green always has that capability of kind of as good as he is taking over games. He can always shoot you out of a game as well. Um, yeah, that just strikes me just the way they've been playing over the last month as one that would probably be the least shocking to me. I don't want to say most likely, but the least unlikely. Yeah, we've had some 15 over 2 action in the recent years, but I don't really see this year being one. If I had to choose one, I would say Delaware over Villanova. Uh, Delaware is an athletic team that could go downhill against bigger defenders. Both teams play slow, so maybe like the lack of possessions in the game might lead to a little bit of variance, but I don't really see it either. Now, 14 over 3 is where things could get dicey. I actually had two in my... I think I had one or two in my... um bracket myself so what are you thinking for the most likely of the 14 over the threes 14 over threes um i'd probably have to go with yale over purdue 
And again, this is less about how I feel about Yale being, you know, some world beater kind of Cinderella team is I just, I'm still really worried about Purdue's defense, um, which is weird to say, you know, typically Purdue is a middle of the road offensive team and a very good defensive team. And this year their offense is spectacular, but their defense has been really shoddy at times. And I could see Yale just, you know, kind of winning a slow it down game that comes down to a few possessions um, and, and just knocking down some shots. Dear God, I really hope that doesn't happen because I actually have Purdue in my championship. I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I really like uh, their offense. I think is the exact formula to win in March, and I was very back and forth about it because of their defense. And I kind of liked them a little more three months ago than I like them today. But um, I think offense offensively they have the exact formula which we'll talk about in a little bit but in terms of the 14 over threes I got Colgate over Iowa State Colgate has won their last 15 games actually a lot of size for a mid-major team and Iowa's offense is a little bit stacked in at times which is you know all those things I feel like are a recipe for a mid-major upset over a power conference team so we'll go Colgate for 14 over three and then um our next one 13 over four there's also a couple ones that stood out as kind of trendy picks, but what are you thinking? Yeah, no, there's a couple of them I like here, um, and I think we're probably on the same page because, like you said, they're sort of trendy picks. But um, South Dakota State, you know, they got 21 straight wins. Um, they shoot almost 45% from three, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, they have, you know, a, a great side of the ball that they can lean on. They're 12th in adjusted offense via Ken Palm. And as much as I love Providence, they just they worry me a little bit with how many close games they play. You know, they are fifteen and two in single digit games this year. But as as great as that sounds, okay, they can pull off wins at the end of the games. You know, they play a ton of close games, and you know, probably against a lot of teams that they should have blown out. So I just worry if they let South Dakota State hang around in this one. South Dakota State just is capable of making so many threes that Providence could really struggle to actually keep up. Yeah, I like to be contrarian, so like when I found out that South Dakota State over Providence was so trendy, it made me less intrigued by it, but you just look at everything, and it's the exact formula for an upset, like I said about the uh, Colgate. Like, South Dakota State, they have a really, really electric offense. Providence, they their record gave deserved them to be a four seed, but are they actually a four seed in true talent? Not quite sure. They're kind of fraudulent in a sense. So that's definitely a matchup. I like, I kind of liked South Dakota state even before I found out who they were playing. And I didn't like Providence before I found out who they were playing. So they're just matched up with each other. That's kind of perfect. So definitely that's my pick for 13 over four and then 12 over five. That's everybody's favorite upset pick. Everybody always has one or two in their brackets every year. That was actually, I think, the one seed that did not have an upset last year, which is kind of interesting. Besides, yeah, that in six, unbelievable. But what do you think? Uh, um, you know, again, I think this one's kind of a trendy pick, but uh, UAB. You know, everybody's a little bit down on Houston. They they actually played really well through the AAC season, but the AAC was just so weak, and you know, the few tough matchups they did have. You know, they got blown out by. Uh, Memphis in their season finale. They avenged that obviously today in the conference championship game. But uh, UAB has Jelly Walker, who you know averages just over twenty points a game. She's forty percent from three. Uh, they're thirty eight percent from three as a team. So we've sort of talked about that you know 
recipe for a Cinderella. They, they're a great three-point shooting team, great offense. They have a star they can lean on. Um, I think UAB actually is probably the team out of all these that we've talked about who could potentially make the deepest run in the tournament. I like Richmond over Iowa. Now, I'm a I'm an A-10 guy, so maybe there's a little bias here. Besides an ACC guy, I'm also an A-10 guy. The Spiders did win the A-10 tournament earlier today. They're very hot. They're very experienced. They have to be the most experienced team in the country. Now, this isn't really March Madness experience, but this is experience playing in college basketball games. And they run great stuff. They have a lights-out shooting guard in Jacob Gilliard. Iowa... They are not the greatest defensive team, so that's definitely something to keep in mind. But, yeah, I, I think both of what we said, I think that UAB could also be a nice 12 over 5 upset. But for me, I'm taking Richmond over Iowa. Um, yeah, no, I definitely like what you were saying about Richmond and all that experience. I mean, even if it's not NCAA experience, at a certain level, just having those college games under your belt is going to help you. So Yeah, like I think they have three of their – Five guys in their starting lineup is are super seniors. The other is a senior, and the other is a junior. Like that's insane. And the fact that they did not have a great year in the regular season, a ten. They, they, I mean, this was it's it's their destiny. Like they definitely, this is the year, the last year in a while that Richmond is going to be a dangerous team. So it has to happen. I feel like they're kind of it's their destiny to have a win in March, maybe even two. So. We'll definitely keep an eye on in that game, but let's move on to more down the line in the tournament, not just first round matchups, but you know, you talked about how you think Purdue could be a first round out. I talked about how I think they could be a championship contender. And I, I honestly see both of those possibilities. So that's a game that I will be sweating about trying to see how my bracket doesn't get busted, but what's your final four and what is your championship? So my final four on one side of the bracket, I have Gonzaga against Kentucky. And then on the other side, I have Villanova against Wisconsin. Um, so I was actually sweating a little bit when you talked about both of your upsets on that side, because I think you had uh, Villanova and Wisconsin both potentially going down. Um, I just really like the experience Villanova has. Uh, it does concern me a little bit, their lack of depth. Um, and then in my finals, I have Gonzaga over Villanova. Uh, a high-scoring game, and a little, again, that's just more so that I, I'm worried about Villanova's depth. I actually think Villanova is probably my favorite team in the country, um, but just they they only play really seven guys, and and one of those guys is only playing a few minutes, so it's just tough to get through a, a six-game tournament that way. Yeah, I don't think Villanova's really a first-round upset pick. I just I picked that more because I thought Delaware was the most intriguing of the 15s rather than Nova being the least intriguing of the twos. But anyway, my final four. So I have Gonzaga over Purdue, Illinois over Auburn, and then Gonzaga over Illinois. So we both have Gonzaga. I think they're the consensus best team in the country. I don't usually pick the best team in the country to win it all because I'm not really giving myself much value there. But I thought it was somewhat contrarian because of the narrative built against Mark Few and Gonzaga. I think a lot of people think they can't win in March. They don't have the formula. And I think, it, honestly, it's just the reason they haven't done it yet is because March is so fluky. And that's a great thing about March. But I think they will do it at some point in the near future. Why not this year? And it's my reasoning was pretty much exactly the same. Um, 
people act like the best team so often wins the tournament and it and it very rarely does i mean if we go back and look there's so many times where is it one of the top five or ten teams sure but it's not the team that was you know grinding out the whole year at number one that ends up winning it um it takes a ton of luck and you know gonzaga very easily could have won it last year um i just feel like this year they're the most consistent team and and like you were saying i i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all that you know, probably 10, 12 teams win this tournament. But if I had to choose my most consistent team, Gonzaga is definitely up there. Yeah. Think about it last year versus this year. Last year it was Gonzaga and Baylor. We could have all predicted that as our championship and it ends up happening. And this year we are very much in a debate over who's the number two, number three, number one, even best team in college basketball. So it makes for a much more exciting march, not just for the first two first two rounds, which everybody loves, but all the way down the line, I think it's going to be a much more unpredictable march. So I, I completely agree with you in that sense. But, uh, Phil, that's all we got for you today. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Maybe promote something you've got before you head off for the night? Um, yeah, just tomorrow, uh, the everything college basketball podcast is going to be doing our, you know, bracket special. So, uh, just check us out on Twitter at, uh, ECB podcast 10. And then, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, NC hoops report. And, uh, that's about it. And I just appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk a uh, bracket with you. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on and uh, enjoy the tournament. It's going to be a great one. So that will do it for our March Madness preview episode. We will watch the first two rounds and then give you the reactions and hopefully an ACC-wise preview of the next weekend. Like I said, hopefully there's ACC teams that make it out, but regardless, it's March time, so best time of the year for us college sports fans. You have been listening to The Dan Siegel Show Thank you for your continued support for our content here at Pipeline. Be sure to follow me at Dan Siegel ACC Content on Twitter and subscribe to our show. Maybe even leave us a five-star review if you're feeling generous. Once again, this is Dan Siegel. Signing off.